You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. You would uh, join me for the reading of God's Word, Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Apostle Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God today. Would you please uh, join me? In prayer, Father, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the authority in your word. I thank you for the transforming power of your word. Father, I thank you um, for the focus of your word, which is your own glory in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, that as we look at your word today, as we worship you, By listening to your word preached, God, I pray that you would come and do a transformative work in our hearts. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to be transformed and to be known as people who have been formed and shaped by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. trust you to do this work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, If you know me very well, um, you've probably heard me say this. Um, One of the things that I often say is that a a person's reputation is the story of their character. A person's reputation is the story of their character. And when I say this, I say this realizing that the, uh, the outward behavior of a person's life actually says a lot about the inner workings of what has shaped that person's heart and mind. And as we come down to uh, the end of Paul's letter to the Philippian church, it it really has become crystal clear um, what the Apostle Paul's reputation was, uh, what the Philippian church's reputation was, and, and what kind of dangerous or threatening uh, character-shaping, reputation-building um, thoughts, affections, and behaviors existed both inside the Philippian church and outside the Philippian church. All throughout this letter, the Apostle Paul has, has continuously dug into what has been shaping the character. When I, when I say character, what, what I mean is the affections, the thoughts, and the behaviors 
of the Philippian church. Paul has continuously dug into what is actually shaping the character of the Philippian church. Uh, Would the Philippian church be shaped by their identity as either Roman citizens on the one hand, or would they be shaped by their identity as heaven's citizens on the other hand? Which would it be? Would the Philippians be shaped by the ideology of Rome, or would they be shaped by the theology of the gospel of the cross of Christ? Which would it be? What would shape the Philippians' character? What would the Philippians' reputation be? Would they be known to possess this kind of reputation uh, that is self-centered or pride-filled or complaining or arguing or, or disagreeing or divisive kinds of people who dress up their sin in the uh, cheap lipstick of religious language and nationalistic ideology? Or would the Philippian church be known to possess uh, the reputation of people who have put on the mind of Christ, they, they think like Jesus as they work out their own salvation in Christ Jesus while standing firm in the joy of Christ as they live their lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as citizens of heaven. Which would it be? These are questions that, uh, questions that have been around for eons. These are questions that must be asked. It's the same kind of question that Joshua would ask the Israelites many years before the writing of this letter. And he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. It's a question of who are you going to represent? What will the church, God's people, be known for? Again, it's a question that has continuously been asked throughout the centuries. It's a question that still needs to be asked today with some level of Serious attention um, given to the anti-Christ or anti-Christian messages that are being proclaimed both inside and outside the church. What will we, God's people, be known for? Four questions, basically, that kind of capture the essence and the ethos of all of this. Four questions I want to work through with us. Will we be known for sharing and suffering? Will we be known for giving sacrificially? Will we be known for trusting in God alone? Will we be known to be a people that possess a worshipful presence? Those four questions what I want to couch our study in today. Let's, Let's begin with the first question. Will we be known for sharing in suffering. See, people who share in the suffering of others uh, are typically very generous people. The Apostle Paul, um, in verses 14 through 16, he commends the Philippians for their generosity when he, he praises them for sharing in his own sufferings. He says, hey, 
it was kind of you. You look back at verse 14. It was kind of you. Another way to say that would be to say, you did well. To share in my trouble. In other words, my suffering. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, which means at the beginning of the Apostle Paul's ministry, when I left Macedonia to do ministry presumably in Corinth, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. This giving and receiving carries with it the concepts and the ideas of giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. It's, it's a holistic kind of giving. There's no church entering into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, he says, which is another place where the Apostle Paul engaged in gospel ministry, he says, you sent me help. You invested your time, your talent, and your treasure for my needs once and again. Not just once, but multiple times. The Philippian believers had a reputation for being a generous church that actually shared in the suffering of others. Now, this reputation that they had, it told the story of the character that they had, the thoughts, the affections, the behaviors. It told the story of the character of a church that is being shaped by the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ as citizens of heaven, rather than it wasn't being shaped by the ideology of their Roman citizenship, rather than working to build or working to preserve, or, or, or even working to transform the great Roman Empire, that they were working to build a heavenly kingdom on this earth that was free of the trappings of the kingdoms of this earth. Now the word that the Apostle Paul uses for share and partnership, both in verse 14 and verse 15, the word group that he uses for those two words, share and partnership, it means to have active participation or fellowship or friendship in something. It comes from the same kind of clumping of Greek words, um, koinonia. Um, and it means to have friendship in something. And the friendship uh, between the Apostle Paul and the Philippians it was something that was fortified or built up by the acts of giving and receiving as the Philippian church funded the Apostle Paul's ministry despite their own great poverty, which you can see in 2 Corinthians 11.9 and 2 Corinthians 8.3-5. Despite their great poverty, the Corinthian church actually, I'm sorry, the Philippian church had actually begged Paul for the opportunity to invest in his ministry at Corinth. Therefore, when it comes to the Philippians, their extraordinarily generous hearts were, were on display. You, you could see, visibly see, the virtue of the Lord Jesus Christ being acted out in their lives. Therefore, you would know that their hearts and their minds were being shaped by the gospel. To believers today um, can, can be known this same way. We can be known 
as believers who have this very same reputation as we actually enter into the generous act of sharing in the suffering of others around us. You think about this year, 2020, how so many people are suffering in so many ways. You think about the myriad of ways that we as believers can enter into that suffering. And we do this by giving our time, our talent, and our treasure to the work of ministry, both at home and abroad. We give our time, our talent, and treasure to those who are in great need across the street from us or next door to us. Our time, our, our talent, and our treasure to those social causes that, that promote the well-being and the safety and the care of every human being. I always say from womb to tomb. Because they've been created in the image of God. The people who share in the suffering of others are typically very generous people. And my question is, is will we be known for sharing in the suffering of others? Second question as we move on. Will we be known for giving sacrificially? Will we be known for this? Will we be known to be a people who give sacrificially? See, people who give sacrificially are typically very generous people. As Paul continues his um, commendation of the Philippians for their generosity, he actually praises them for their sacrificial giving in verses 17 through 18. What does he say? He says, it's not that I seek the gift. They say, I'm not, I'm not looking for you to give me more. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So while the gift is good, I'm actually looking for the fruit that comes out of a heart that gives sacrificially. Because there's an eternal spiritual bank account that gets credited. Even in this moment right here, there's a both now and later concept to the spiritual benefits that we receive in our act of giving sacrificially. So it's not that I seek the gift, he says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This language that Paul uses here when he talks about a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is a, this is a kickback to Old Testament texts in, in Leviticus um, and, and other places where the offerings and the sacrifices that Israel was called to give, which pointed us towards Christ and the generosity of Christ and the cross, those were known to be a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So the Apostle Paul is just employing Old Testament language to commend the Philippians because they had become known for their generosity because they gave sacrificially. And the word that, that Paul uses here for increases in, in verse 17, it's an interesting word. That word that he uses for this, this concept of increases, that the, the fruit that would increase to your credit, um, that word is a word that, that signifies a, a continual uh, spiritual multiplication that happens 
in the life of a generous believer. Paul's uh, commendation of the Philippians' sacrificial giving here, um, when he made this statement, he's he's making this statement with with an eye towards um, the interest that that is being compounded in the Philippians' eternal bank accounts. I mean, you can look to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Matthew 19, verse 21. You can look to Romans 12, 1 to see some of the implications of what I've just said as well. At the end of the day, uh, sacrificial and generous Christians really are a sweet, savory smell unto the Lord. It's like, it's like when you smell Thanksgiving turkey, or maybe for some of you, Thanksgiving ham, or for some of you, maybe it's Thanksgiving lasagna, since Christopher Columbus was Italian. And they probably ate lasagna along with their turkey. I'm Italian, so that's what I think. But you think that, it, that, that when, a, when a Christian, when a, when a believer gives sacrificially and is generous, then that believer becomes a sweet smell unto the Lord. And especially sweet when you think about this. Like when I, when I think about the idea of lasagna or turkey or ham next to, I don't know, liver maybe? I don't know what food it is that you absolutely are disgusted by, but whatever food that is, if you were to set that gross food for you right next to a real sweet-smelling food, there's something about the presence of that really nasty food that makes that really good food smell even better. So these kinds of believers, generous, sacrificially giving believers, they are especially sweet to the Lord when compared with the bitter aroma of the self-centered, pride-filled, complaining, arguing, disagreeing, and divisive reputations that oftentimes or at least sometimes, so I don't exaggerate, characterize groups of believers today. Here's the thing. Money, this text obviously has a a financial tone to it, but but money is not the only thing that is needed to have the reputation of a generous church that shares in suffering and gives sacrificially. Think about this. Not just money that's needed. Time and talent are needed as well. Right? You, you can't just write checks, give cash, and go, I've done my part, I get to go home. There's also a time and talent aspect of our giving sacrificially, being generous. It's a holistic generosity. The time and talent spent listening, spent praying, spent serving, spent providing for the needs of others who are suffering. This, I believe, is also a requirement in the Scriptures. Let's not forget here, in the context, the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus on a very lengthy road trip to jail. Okay, wasn't going on a vacation, didn't hop on a private jet, didn't even hop in his car. Took a very lengthy road trip, most likely on foot. Um, And he was bearing gifts for the Apostle Paul in jail. 
You see, the Philippians giving and, and, and receiving and, and sharing in the Apostle Paul's trouble was actually backed up by this sacrificial physical presence in Epaphroditus. And, and this was something that was pleasing to God, Paul said. So I, I was thinking this week about how this would apply in my life right now as a believer in 2020. And I would say that my heart has had to go through some radical moments of transformation this year. It is uncanny the amounts of self-centeredness and selfishness that pop up inside of me, the sinfulness, when you come into a hard year like this. And one example in my own life that I see God doing a work in that I would share with you, not in any way to make myself seem like I'm that good, but just to point to God's grace in transformation and also admitting that I'm, I'm still on this journey with you. When I spend time in this year listening to folks who um, work in our hospitals, people who work in retirement homes, uh, people who work in our educational institutions right now, what I hear is I hear people. I hear actual people with faces who have been created in the image of God, and, and they're speaking about this sobering reality of life right now. And I say, I say sobering reality um, um, because if I were to characterize these folks um, as giving into some kind of demonic or politicized fear, then what I'm doing is I'm actually devaluing their experiences, and I'm dehumanizing them as human beings. So, when, when, and, I, and I'm guilty of that. Thank God for the blood of Christ at the cross. But when I hear these folks talk about the sobering reality of what we are experiencing right now in 2020, my heart has become increasingly broken, more so. And, and I want to invest sacrificially into their well-being. As I continue to have these conversations, what I'm finding inside of me is gone are the arguments inside of me about the percentages of deaths versus recoveries. Far more present is the picture of freezer trucks pulled up for dead bodies of loved ones to be stacked in until it's safe. There's people that are experiencing that right now. Gone are the arguments around the, the, the legitimacy of safety protocols. Gone inside of me, or at least going away, is the desire to politicize what these actual human beings in front of me are experiencing. My heart is changing. Wanting to enter into what people around me are experiencing. My, my heart is wanting to share in their sufferings, and not only share in their sufferings, but to give myself away sacrificially to help, to, to come alongside, to, to serve in any way possible, even if it costs me some comfort or perceived rights. And I, I believe that this is, this is just one way that I've seen the Lord at work in me, still working in me, I believe it's one way that, that I can and we can live like Jesus while giving ourselves away for the good of others around us. The reality, as, as a believer and as a pastor, 
I want to invite and encourage uh, other believers to join me in following Jesus that way too. We have a responsibility to that as well. So with those things in mind, um, it's good to be reminded that people who give sacrificially are, are generous people. And you know, giving sacrificially, <laughs> uh, I could, if you were to take my life, my heart, and my thoughts, and you were to lay all of them out in a, you know, in a, in a timeline, I, maybe you would see somebody who's continued to grow in this. I think, by God's grace, but I can tell you there have been, especially early seasons and even now momentary seasons in my journey as a believer where somebody who gives sacrificially is probably not what you would think of me if you were to see certain instances and thoughts and, and affections in my heart. So again, thankful for God's grace in that. People who give sacrificially are generous people. My question is, will we? Will, will I be known? Um, to be that kind of person, a person who gives sacrificially. Third question, I want to move on. Third question, will we be known for trusting in God alone? Will we be known for that? So the question of who we actually trust in is, is always an important question to ask uh, as, fo- as followers of Christ. And uh, um, it, it's important for us to know that, that people who do trust in God alone, that those are typically generous people, right? See, you look back at what Paul is saying, look back at verse 19, as Paul continues to commend the Philippians for their generosity, what he does is he, he proclaims his trust in God alone when he says this, he says, and my God, I love it because it's a very personal phrase, and my God, not mean that he's not your God too. Just something mean that my God, in my experience of my personal relationship with my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, now this promise that he gives here um, oftentimes can be ripped out of context, but in, in context, this, this promise of God's supply, it, it it's a promise that is given to generous Christians like the Philippians. It's, it's not a promise that can be claimed by those who live for their own self-preserving, self-establishing, self-advancing, self-expressing, self-promoting way of life. We really should face this fact that something in the human nature, um, and maybe maybe it depend maybe it's a little more pronounced in some areas of the world than others. There's something in the human nature that has a tendency to live for self, and 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 especially self-expression. You can't tell me not to express myself in said ways. Right? There, there's, just, there's a whole ideology, philosophical framework there that I don't have time to get into, but self is at the core, not Christ. The reality that the Apostle Paul is pointing to here is that God is going to meet any and every material and spiritual need that has been created in the life of every believer as a result of their generosity. Paul can say this because he knows that God's generous supply for his children 
is based upon his his own limitless supply as the creator, God, of the entire universe. Here's the thing. God, God doesn't give out of his riches. I mean, he doesn't just take a hundred bucks out of his thousands and give that, okay? What God does actually is he gives blank checks of grace according to, not out of, according to his incalculable vast amount of wealth in the glory of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and returning. All that being said, for the begrudging giver, <coughs> for the begrudging giver, there is no such hope. There is no such hope to be applied. There is such hope that could be laid hold of as that begrudging giver surrenders and submits himself or herself to Christ at the cross. But for the begrudging giver who has yet to do so, there is no such hope on their current trajectory. You see, a begrudging giver has trusted in something other than God alone, just as, think about this in the context of, of the, the letter, just as the self-centered, pride-filled, my rights before your needs, complaining, arguing, disagreeing, divisive person, that person has no, has not laid hold of a hope in God, regardless of their religious jargon. And the reason why is because that person's trust has been placed in a sin called self-sufficiency, self-preservation, self-advancement, self-expression, self at the center. It's good to be reminded as we're thinking about this that the true marks of a believer, which you could look at in Romans chapter 12 and Galatians chapter 5, the true marks of a believer um, where you see uh, the, their reputation, their reputation, right, in their virtuous living, the story of their character lived out in daily life, the story of the character of that true believer, it's wrapped up in the spirit-filled, fruit-filled fabric of godliness with, with, with selflessness at its core. You can even look in Colossians and talk about taking off the old clothing and putting on the new clothing, which which is about walking in our identity. Same as the book of Ephesians, where you would sit in your identity as a believer with new clothing and a new life, and then walk that out virtuously in your life among an unbelieving world as you stand upon the truth of the gospel. This is the kind of selflessness at the core that the denial of self um, it is wrapped around. The denial of self is the direct outcome of total and complete trust in Christ Jesus. See, trusting in God alone enables the kind of selfless and sacrificial generosity that, that the world around us lacks. Because when, when you and I, when we trust in God alone, then, then who do we fear? Think about it. If we trust in God alone, then who do we fear? We fear only God alone. 
See, the only, the only person you fear, you, you, don't, you don't fear anything else. This is the kind of generosity um, that characterized many in the early church. If you look at the early church, <coughs> Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, as the early church trusted in God alone for their material and spiritual needs, though the opposite was also um, on display in the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira with all of their religious rhetoric, all their religious language, they died in their sin despite their cheap religious language because they were selfish. They weren't generous. So the kind of godly generosity that we see today uh, is the kind of God-trusting, God-fearing generosity that, that motivates a person to um, purchase face shields for um, a church to gather together. The kind of God-trusting, God-fearing generosity that motivates another person to actually make face masks out of their own Abundance. The kind of same kind of God trusting, God fearing generosity that motivates another person to donate a piano to a church in need. Same kind of God trusting, God fearing generosity that motivates another person to come alongside a, a pregnant teen without judgment. Same kind of God-trusting, God-fearing generosity that motivates a believer to begin supporting the ministry of their local church. Same kind of God-trusting, God-fearing generosity that motivates other people to put together uh, holiday meal boxes for people in need. I mean, the list can go on and on. People who trust in God alone are generous people because they've been affected by the work of Christ at the cross. Will we be known for trusting in God alone? Question number four. <clears throat> Will we be known <clears throat> for a worshipful presence in our community? Will we be known for a worshipful presence in our community? Now, people with a worshipful presence are typically generous people, truly worshipful presence. Generous people because... They know that since Christ gave himself generously on behalf of his enemies so that they become children of God, experience that grace and that mercy. Romans 12 points us there. Therefore, those people would, would live generously because everything we do is an act of worship, right? Especially our generosity. It's especially the fruit of that. Apostle Paul, when he <clears throat> concludes his Commendation of the Philippians in verse 20 uh, for their generous reputations. He does it in that final verse with a really short doxology. And a doxology is basically an expression of praise. It's a short doxology, an expression of praise to the Lord. Um, and he exclaims this, the final thing he says here for today. He says, to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, the reality here is that Paul's previous proclamation of theology, with theology is answering the question, who is God, and how has he revealed himself to mankind? This previous proclamation of theology, which teaches us that God is our provider in Christ Jesus, 
that proclamation of theology then leads to this exclamation of doxology, this praise to the King of Kings as he enters into this posture of a worshipful presence. It's God's generous provision in Christ. It's meant to produce our worship-filled presence in the spaces and places that we inhabit. The worship is not about a building. Worship is not about the music. Worship is not about the gathering. It's not about the clothing or the style or the feeling. Worship is about the continued discipline of laying oneself down at the foot of the cross where God's mercy and grace were embodied in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on behalf of rebellious, sin-sick human beings who would become children of the King. See, when Christians worship God in spirit and in truth, in light of God's mercy, every day of the week, when that happens, in everything they do, as they ask if this particular thought, this particular affection, this particular behavior, would that actually please God? And then when those believers act according to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, <coughs> then and only then is the church known to have a worshipful presence in the community. Not, not a combative presence, not a divisive presence, not a self-centered presence, not an argumentative presence, not a disagreeing presence, not a prideful presence, but a worshipful presence in the community. Because people with a truly worshipful presence, they've been radically, radically transformed into generous people who mimic the radical generosity of their Savior on a cross. So will we be known for a worshipful presence? By way of application um, and in conclusion, just kind of recap a bit. It is true that a person's reputation is the story of their character. And the outward behavior of a, a person's life really does say a lot about the inner workings of what has shaped a person's heart and mind, right? As we think about that, we've got to wrestle with the truth um, that a church who shares in the suffering of others, a church who gives sacrificially, a church who trusts in God alone, a church who possesses a worshipful presence, this is a church that has a reputation of being a generous church whose character, again, thoughts, affections, behaviors, Character has been shaped not by the ideology of this world dressed up in the cheap lipstick of religious language. This church has actually been shaped instead by the theology of the gospel of the cross of Christ. You look at this two different ways, one in the context of the major issues and one in the context of the um, remedies that Paul talks about in this letter. 
In the context of the major issues that Paul has already addressed throughout the book, it would appear that Christians who do not share in suffering, Christians who do not give sacrificially, Christians who do not trust in God alone, Christians who do not possess a worshipful presence, these are not a sweet aroma to the Lord. Because they're known for possessing a different kind of character. A kind of character that is shaped by or a kind of reputation that is known by self-centeredness, pride-filled complaining, argumentative disagreements, divisive in their reputation, that it sometimes accompanies those within the church. And, And the kind of reputation this is, this kind of reputation centered in the issues of this letter That kind of reputation tells the story of a person's character, thoughts, affections, and behaviors that has been shaped more so by the ideology of the world around us dressed up in the cheap lipstick of religious rhetoric. Now, on the other hand, if you look at this positively, within the context of the letter, in the context of the remedies for the issues, It would appear that that when a group of believers puts on the mind of Christ, begins to think like Jesus. When a group of believers works out their own salvation in Christ, meaning that we are humiliative, not judgmental, in the world that we live in. Meaning that our stance as we work out our own salvation is much less about those dirty, rotten sinners out there are more about this dirty, rotten sinner right here who has been saved by grace wants to invite you to come and follow Jesus too. And when a group of Christians stands firm in the joy of Christ knowing that <laughs> this earth is not our home, I can stand firm in that regardless of what happens in the culture. I can stand firm in the joy of Christ then what happens is we wind up striving to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a citizen of heaven. When, when that's clicking, right? When, when a church is, is living under that kind of theological, doxological proclamation of the gospel, then, then that church is going to continuously be transformed into a church that possesses the reputation of generosity that is actually characterized by sharing in the suffering of others, giving sacrificially, trusting in God alone, and occupying a worshipful presence in our community. This this kind of reputation, this kind of reputation tells the story of a person's character, thoughts, affections, behaviors. It has been shaped by theology, the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. This kind of church, finally, final conclusion here. This kind of church is happy to take her place at the foot of a bloody cross. Happy to take her place in in the doorway of an empty tomb. Happy to hold on to the hope of heaven 
Because in the shadow of that bloody cross is where true believers find that all forms of, of, of self-centeredness, all forms of pride, all forms of complaining, all forms of arguing, all forms of disagreements, all forms of division, those are actually anti-Christ because the way of Christ is generosity. You see the generosity of Jesus at the cross as He shared in our sufferings. He took our sin on Himself and gave us His righteousness. That way we might come to the Father in heaven and be in right relationship with Him by grace through faith, which is a gift of God. Generous gift of God. Christ shared in our suffering at the cross. He gave sacrificially at the cross. He trusted in His Father God alone at the cross. He Completed really the ultimate act of worship at the cross. This is the Jesus that we proclaim. So my friends, will will this be our reputation in Hastings, Nebraska? Will this be the story of what shapes our character, our thoughts, our affections, and our behaviors? Will we put on the mind of Christ as we work out our salvation in Christ as we stand firm in the joy of Christ? Will we live out our lives in the manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, citizens of heaven? Will we be a generous people who share in the suffering of others and give sacrificially and trust in God alone and possess a worshipful presence in Hastings, Nebraska, to the ends of the earth? Will we be known this way? Pray. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, thank you for the generous provision of your word, privileged to preach it. And now, Father, as we spend a few moments in worship, Lord, I thank you for those who um, came in today to lead us in song. I pray that those on the other side of their TV screens and computer screens and tablets and devices, Lord, I pray that, that this moment would be especially I'm good and helpful and transforming. And I pray, God, that you would take us in these moments and re-preach to us your word by the power of your spirit and do a work of transformation whereby you would bring us to repentance from our sin. Help us to find our place at the foot of a bloody cross in the doorway of an empty tomb as we hold on to the hope of heaven. Trust you to do this work. Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.